0: Hi, welcome to everyone who's listening online today. My name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here at LifePoint in Westerville. Uh, grateful to have you listening in and joining us online. Uh, I want to say to you that uh, if you are interested and in kind of follow along in notes, go to lpguest.com or Point, Ohio. Dot com forward slash watch, and you can follow along in the notes as you're listening. Uh, but I wanted to share with you a quick thing about my kid. Uh, as I have two daughters, my oldest daughter really loves mysteries. She saw the movie Knives Out, which is kind of like an Agatha Christie kind of a murder mystery uh, you know, uh, story, and she really liked it. So she started looking up Agatha Christie novels and reading those and watching some of the movies that used to come out. And then she found something that I thought I did not expect, right? This past summer, she found the, the show Murder, She Wrote. So think back, right? Uh, the Murder, She Wrote came out. Uh, Angela Lansbury is the main character. Jessica, who's, who solves all the murder mysteries. Uh, but that was like mid 80s, right? And uh, that lasted to mid 90s. I think of that as like my mom used to watch Murder, She Wrote. Maybe you used to watch it, but most likely, maybe it was your parents or even your grandparents who watched Murder, She Wrote. My daughter found it and she loves it. She loves the murder mystery. She loves how the stories unfold. And, you know, you think it's gonna be this and then new information comes to light and then you think it's this person. The funny thing is my youngest daughter actually gets the murder person before my oldest daughter does. She's, and she's always seems to be right. It's so funny. Um, I, I bring it up because we're in this series we're calling Labels and we're looking at the book of Luke. And, you know, as we talk about the book of Luke, the big idea we're talking about is how that, you know, Jesus interacted with these people on the fringes people who would have been labeled, and we're saying that the gospel calls us to live a life above labels. And the story we're gonna look at today is a story that Jesus told in front of the religious elites and the rebellious crowd. So both crowds of people are present. He's telling this story. And those crowds of people had some uh, misconceptions about eternity. And Jesus tells a story that really helps unfold the mystery of eternity for us. And I was thinking about You know, if I were sitting there in that crowd that day, you know, how would I have interpreted this? How would I have understood this? How would this have changed my faith? And I was thinking how the problem that you and I have is that because eternity seems so far away and we try to distance ourselves from even the thought of it, right? That The thought of dying and leaving the people we love and leaving the things that are important to us, we try to distance ourselves from that. And as a result, then we get hyper-focused on everything that's here that's temporary, And this becomes our life. We get consumed by it and caught up in it. And I wonder if we understood eternity, if we lived in light of eternity, how would that change our faith now? That's the question. What would it look like to understand eternity and how would that impact our faith? As we start to unfold the mystery today that that Jesus tells, like how should that new information as it comes to light, how would that impact us? That's what we're going to look at today. If you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 16. Uh, Let me tell you, the first thing I want to share with you is this, is that this story presents an extreme contrast of two different lives. In context, Jesus, again, hes now he's become very popular. Uh, the religious elites are kind of out to trap him, and, and they want to stop him because he's not affirming them, uh, but they're still curious as to what he's saying. And within the religious elite crowd, you have Pharisees there, and Pharisees believe in, in angels. They believe in eternity, but there's also Sadducees. Sadducees don't believe in eternal things. They don't even believe in angels. They don't believe in an afterlife. So that kind of represents the religious elites. And then on the rebellious crowd, you have these people who, who might be really poor or might be really wealthy depending but they have kind of rejected the things of God if you will or they're, they're at least labeled that way and he tells this story uh, that it may not have actually been just a story it may have been a parable which is just a made up story that Jesus uses to teach a, a truth but may have been a real story and he's using real names and situ- situations and circumstances that, that may have been real either way he's trying to communicate a truth and here's Here's the thing, it it starts out in verse 19, and I'm gonna read the entire passage. So kind of grab your Bible, scroll to your Bible, follow along with me as we read the story that Jesus tells to these two crowds of people. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus' like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I I beg you, father, send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest any of them come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, father Abraham, But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I mean, what an amazing story. And it really, Jesus is showing the contrast of two completely different lives in Israel. One, the rich man, he is wealthy. So when it says that he has wearing clothes of purple, understand that to get purple, you had to buy this uh, this material or you had to buy things that could turn things into purple. So it would have represented very expensive clothing. Imagine this to us would be, he's wearing designer rack, everything, right? This guy has the best clothes he's wearing. He lives a sumptuous life, it says. That means he's living in luxury. He has everything he needs. And the implication there is that everyone knows it too. Like he has a an estate. He has servants. He has people. He has the pomp and circumstance. That's his life. At the same time, you have another guy, Lazarus. He is poor. He's a beggar. Uh, He has to be placed at the gate, which means he's probably physically uh, maybe struggling or maybe he's, you know, can't move anymore. He has sores, so maybe he's not moving at all. Like this guy just wants crumbs. And so they place him near the rich guy's gate, meaning that sometimes people coming and going might bring out some food and hand it to him. That's how he lives his life. So you have these two completely different lives here in Israel of two people. Now, you need to understand, spiritually speaking, the way that they would have been perceived is this. Here's a guy who's been blessed by God, the rich man. He is living well. He must be you know, having the favor of God. That was the idea. And for a guy to be poor, To be a beggar, he would have been stricken by God. God has withheld his hand of blessing from the guy. So the idea would be, this guy's good with God, the rich man, and this guy's not good with God. He's the poor man. And if anyone's gonna make it to heaven, if anyone's gonna be blessed in eternity, it's gonna be the rich man because he obviously has done something right that God is blessing, not the poor man. That was the idea, the prevailing thought about eternity from that, you know, that context. And it, it makes sense because if you read back in the Old Testament and you read about the laws that God gave, he said, look, if you keep my laws, I'm going to protect you. If you don't follow my laws, I'm going to take my hand of protection off of you. So they took that and they extrapolated that out to the idea that rich people blessed by God, poor people not blessed by God. And in eternity, we see a completely different picture We see this man, the rich man, who's in torment. He's in flames. He's just literally begging out for mercy. And you see this Lazarus up by Abraham's side. We know Abraham was the patriarch of Israel. And somehow in eternity, Abraham is there. And and this poor man is hanging out with Abraham, the patriarch of all of Israel. He's being comforted, lives a completely different life in eternity. The roles have been reversed in eternity Completely contrasting. Very interesting story. I think it kind of leaves you wondering you know, is that what eternity is like? Is there going to be like this, you know, hell that's full of fire that you're looking up and you can see others? And, and there are other you know, what's it going to be like? Is Abraham going to be there? I mean, we have all these thoughts and, and ideas, but I think what Jesus is communicating is this completely different contrast. And he's using the contrast to show us something, a truth about eternity. Now, It doesn't answer every question about eternity that you and I might have. It unfolds some things, but it doesn't answer everything. And and I got to be honest with you. I have, at this point in my life, seen things that I just can't explain. Uh, It it appears like as people get close to death, as people who've been sick a long time, it it appears like as they get the closer and closer they get, it seems like the, the veil between heaven and earth, the veil between supernatural and the natural world seems to dissipate and people start to see things that I can't explain. Now, my, my example I could give you is, is my own mom. Now, my mom and I, we were, we were tight. As, as I was discovering Christ as a, as a young teenager, uh, my mom also was coming through kind of a spiritual renaissance, or not a renaissance, but a, a revitalization in her own soul. So she loved to read. So she just devoured her Bible, and she would devour books about the Bible. She just loved to read. And she would share those things that she was learning with me. And I was discovering, asking lots of questions and just had this great bond spiritually with my mom. As, as God was influencing her, he was influencing me. Well, as I went on in my life, of course, I was a teenager, made lots of bad decisions. And I had kind of that moment as a 21-year-old young man that I really came to Christ and, and uh, just wanted my life to be about Jesus. And I was growing and growing. And, and one day I got to teach my friends the Bible. We had like a little Bible study. I sat down with them and, and taught them the Bible. And I just was so overwhelmed. I drove to my mom's right after. I said, mom, you're not gonna believe this. Like, I just felt like for the first time, the round peg hit the round hole that God built me for this to be able to help people to understand Jesus. I was so excited. I wanna share that with her. As life unfolded, you know, and, and all the things I got to experience in my life, my, my mom, as she... As she aged, she, her health started to decline and deteriorate. And eventually she was at that point where she was on the last chapter, the last week, the last pages of her life. And uh, she was over at, at the hospital and in an ICU. And uh, myself, my siblings and in-laws all got to spend time with her that week. And I was there a lot. And uh, I watched her health gradually decline that last week. And to the point where down the last three days, she was no longer talking. She, her eyes were never open. She didn't sit up and talk. Uh, she was more of like in a dream state, if you will, like uh, just they kept her comfortable, uh, but she was still with it, but you knew it was limited. I, uh, I remember uh, it was the last day we were all there, my, a lot many of my siblings were there, and in-laws, and uh, so my wife Tammy and I were there, and, and I was up sitting next to my mom, and you know, I was reading the book of First Peter to her. She loved First Peter. So I sat and I read the first chapter. I said, "Mom, do you want me to keep reading?" she 'd say, "Yes." You know, she didn't say it. She'd just shake her head yes. So I knew she was with me and I would read the second chapter, which takes some time, right? I'm reading the whole second chapter to her. And I said, mom, mom, do you want me to keep reading? And she'd shake her head yes. And I read all of First Peter to her and just, you know, had that moment with my mom. And uh, then, you know, it was kind of like it was tapping into the next person to come over. And so my, my wife Tammy and my sister Julie were up next to mom and, and I got to come over and I was talking with my older brother and his wife and we were just kind of recounting memories. Uh, we were talking about how her dad, my grandfather was probably the most influential person in our lives when it comes to knowing Christ. We're talking about that moment, wondering what it'll be like for mom. Does, does she get to go see him? Do they get to hang out? Are they gonna embrace again? You know, what will it be like for her to be able to see her dad again? And, and just then my wife and Julie like start to go frantic. Hey, hey, what's going on? What's going on? And we all are turning. My mom had sat straight up. She's looking, her eyes are wide open and she's looking in the room and she's following in the room. She's not looking at any of us. She's looking at something else and she's following along in the room. She follows along. And then just a few minutes later, she was gone. What was that? What did she see? I remember thinking, did did the angels, like in this story, it says the angels came and carried off, you know, this, this poor man, Lazarus. Was it it angels coming? Did my grandfather come down to get her? Did did Jesus come down to get her? Like what what happened? I don't know. The picture shares something about eternity, but it doesn't answer every question. It unfolds some mystery, but it doesn't tell us everything about eternity. But that brings me to the second thing is that the story answers some of the questions that we all have though. The story does answer some questions. I wrote down five questions that I I wanna talk about. The first one is this. I think these are questions that we all have. Is there life after death and will I have an awareness? If you look at 1625, it says, but Abraham said, remember the guy's calling out, Abraham, have mercy on me. Tell Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and dip it on my tongue so that I can be relieved for a minute, just tell him. This is what he says in verse 25. Abraham's a child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus, like manner are bad things. But now he's comforted here and you're in anguish. He says, child, remember. Yes, are they alive? Have they gone through death? That means this body is no longer working, but the spirit that's inside of you remains alive. And in, in eternity, there's one is in one place, one is in another, and they're aware. Abraham says, Listen, remember, remember your life. So yes the answer is absolutely yes that there is life after death and there is an awareness of things recognition that oh I see Lazarus I see Abraham and I can remember my life the second question is this is what happens when I die like what happens when I die am I asleep like, is there a, like a sleeping time where you're just like kind of, kind of in a, an eternal coma and then all of a sudden you wake up? Uh, are we in purgatory? I, I was raised in a church that taught that uh, there was an eternal like, like holding tank, right? And you had to live in the, in the holding tank of purgatory until you pay off your sins. Are we, do we go straight to heaven, straight to hell? Like what happens? And I think in 22 and 23, we see that. The the poor man was died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades. Like, it's very clear that what happens when you die, that there's places that you go. What happens for the believer? You know, uh, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.8, he's talking about, you know, he's trying to console the people there, the church there, like, what happens when people die? Because they have the same question that you and I have, like, what happens and he said, to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. He, he also said in, in Philippians chapter one, he talked about, uh, you know, cause he was facing death. And he said, for me to live is Christ, meaning the reality of my life is that I experience Christ, but to die would be gain. In essence, what he was saying is, look, I know that if I die, I get more of Christ. No more hindrances by this life. No more hindrances by the flesh or by sin. I get full on Jesus Christ. In, in Luke 23, 43, it's the story of Jesus on the cross. Remember, he had two thieves next to him. One of the thieves starts hurling insults at Jesus, and, and the other thief says, Hey, don't you have any respect? He looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And how did Jesus answer him? Luke 23, 43 says, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today. Today. So, what does that mean? I think the answering question is that there is a, an awareness. There's something we go immediately. You know, we're one of two places, if you will, but we go to be with the Lord. Now, some questions that it doesn't answer is like, well, when do we get our body? Well, it appears that as, as Paul talks about later in 1 Corinthians 15, that, that we will get a body. There's gonna be a resurrection so we have a spirit that's gonna be you know, completely connected and we'll be up there and aware and in the presence of God. But one day at the time of a resurrection and a later date, we will have a physical body again. And it appears much like what Jesus had when he resurrected. I mean, we can be part of the physical world again and part of the spiritual world. Will our body be different? It'll be an eternal body. You know, it brings up a lot of questions, right? But one thing is clear is that we are with the Lord if you're a believer. Does this mean that people go that poor people go to heaven and rich people go to hell? You know, verse 22. Remember, it says he was carried to Abraham's side. You got to ask yourself, was Abraham a rich person? Yes. You go to Genesis 13:2, it talks about the wealth of Abraham. Remember Abraham, the patriarch, God put his hand of blessing on Abraham because Abraham had faith and right, and he had this life where he was accumulating wealth and accumulating agriculture. And remember he was traveling with Lot and they had to separate because there wasn't enough pasture land for all the animals. So it's not rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. That's not at all. And as you read the rest of scripture, you realize that there's only one way to the father. It's Jesus Christ. You realize that anyone who would believe in Christ would have eternal life. Is hell for real? This is a question that plagues a lot of people. And there have been writers who try to, try to write books to kind of erase all of hell. They don't want anything to do with it, right? Because nobody wants to have the accountability of hell. No one wants to think of, of going there. No one wants to think of you know, people uh, that they love being there. But in verse 24, here's what it says about this rich man's experience. Have mercy, dip the end of Lazarus' finger, tell him to come put the water on my tongue. Why? Because I'm in torment and anguish in this flame. It goes on to say as he's, you know, in verse uh, 27, Father Abraham, send someone to my brothers. Go to him, you know, so that they don't end up here. So it answers the question, is there a hell? Yes. The word here for hell is actually uh, you know, the, what we would say is Hades. Uh, back in the Old Testament, they called the place Sheol, the place of the dead. Is it a lake of fire? Is it a literal lake of fire? I don't know. I honestly don't know. It appears that fire is used as a term of judgment. And Jesus said, when he was talking to the crowds of people who were rejecting him, he said, look, it's gonna be worse for you on the day of judgment than it will be for the people of Tyre and Sidon, nations who came up against Israel. It'll be worse for you than for them. So there appears to be these levels, if you will, of, of punishment. Is it fire? Is fire representative judgment? It's very possible. It's not exactly clear, but here's what is absolutely clear about hell. Is that it's a place of torment, that's anguish, and a place of regret. That here's a guy who's saying, Don't let my brothers come here. That's clear about hell. Jesus calls it that it be, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here's another question you have to ask yourself. Is, Is it that people will get a second chance after death? Will they have a second chance to like come to their senses, if you will? Verse 26, remember he's saying, can you send Lazarus over here? Verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed. I mean, you can't come over to us and we can't come to you. You know, the writer of Hebrews wrote in chapter nine, verse 27, said, "It is appointed to men to die once. So there's one time and then receive judgment. Meaning in this life is the time to make decisions. In this time is the time to prioritize this life. But after that, it doesn't appear in any way, shape or form in scripture that there will be a second opportunity that now that you see the reality, that you have changed your mind. In fact, I don't even know if it's possible. I think in this life, people who don't want God, like they're not gonna change their mind in eternity. Look at this guy. He's literally kind of ordering Lazarus around. In his lifetime, Lazarus sits at the gate, and maybe he recognizes Lazarus. Maybe he likes Lazarus, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he sends him food, maybe he doesn't. Either way, he sees himself as you know ahead of Lazarus. He's Lazarus is below him. Why? He's telling Abraham, tell Lazarus to do this. Tell him to get me some water. Tell him to go to my brothers. Like it doesn't appear that this guy's changed. Can I tell you? I, I think about this and If you think about the reality of eternity, as the story does unfold many of the questions that we do have, you think, you know, why is it that we struggle to grasp that reality? I I know people, um, I have some some people in my life who I've known for years, and I knew them all the way back as teenagers, and and I remember them as as teenagers uh, hearing the message of the gospel, right? The message that God absolutely loves us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us to be right with him, but we all sin. And we literally put our hand in the face of God and say, no, I'm doing it my way, right? We make decisions. Uh, Some people go like really far, make bad decisions, but everyone makes decisions to go against God. Nobody honors God the way that he deserves in their life. And that sin then becomes a reality to us. When we recognize that, we realize that we're the problem. And then we recognize the love of God that yes, Does he judge sin? Absolutely. But he offers us the opportunity to be just completely guilt-free. Have all of our sin wiped away. Why? He sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for all the sin that's offended God. His son takes the penalty. And when his son rises from the grave, he's alive. And he calls anyone who would have faith, come place your faith in me and I'll give you my righteousness. So that anyone has the, the opportunity, hears that, they give their life to Christ. They're free. I had this couple in my life. They received that gift and it changed them. But I noticed that over time in their life, uh, it kind of, you know, that fire, that inspiration that once, you know, wanted to live for Jesus and invite people, you know, into Christ, invite people to church and, and tell people about Jesus. That, that kind of passion just slowly kind of fizzled out. And they would say they're believers, but it if, in all honesty, if you look at their life, you would say that you know they don't really go to church much anymore and they're not really involved in, in the Bible. And really, they're kind of focused on everything that's here that's, that's temporary. Their whole lives are wrapped up in, in what's here. Not that these things are bad things. Relationships and children and, and work and family, these things are all things that matter to us. But I think what happens, we have a tendency to look here, and this becomes so much more important to us. And when we take our eyes off eternity and the reality of eternity, it kind of hinders our faith. The last thing I just want to share is that, you know, the weight of this story should have an impact on our faith. It really should. If this is true and Jesus is telling the story and look, you want someone who knows the truth. You don't want people who are writing about it. Well, I think it's like this, I think it's like this. You want someone who's been there, who recognizes it. That's why this story, a lot of people and writers disagree. Is this a real story or is this a parable? They don't know. One thing is clear though, is if anyone would understand eternity and know how to communicate it to us, it'd be someone who was there and came to us. This rich man, let me read the last few verses again. I want you just to think about them. Here's the view of the rich man who's missed out. He has complete regret on his life now. He's lived his life for temporary things and he was good at it. Here are his words. He said, then I beg you, father, send him, send Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest any of them come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, well, will they have Moses and the prophets. That's the word of God, as God has revealed his word to people. Let them hear them. Verse 30, and he said, well, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. If, send Lazarus back from the dead. Send a ghost to them. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I mean, just an ominous statement. Here's Jesus telling a story and Jesus knows what's about to happen. Jesus is going to die on a cross, be buried three days, and he's gonna resurrect and gonna come to people. And he's saying, look, if these people don't respect the word of God now, if they don't respect the words of Moses and the prophets, what God has revealed to them now, they're not gonna believe even if someone rises from the dead. I mean, Jesus understood very clearly what was gonna happen. Now here's the thing, we, this guy lived in this moment, in this moment, deep anguish, deep regret. And I bet you, if he could go back and do it over again, he would do it over again. And Jesus is telling this story, this contrast so that we could see a picture of eternity. Why? Because we need to live in light of eternity, that it's real. There's a purpose. He is going to great lengths to save us from that, right? He gave up his life to save us from making those regretful decisions with our life, trying to show us his love by what he did on the cross and yet gives us the opportunity to choose. And for those who believe for those who understand, we need to keep eternity in the forefront of our minds, not the back front. And we don't, we don't let that weight sit on us very easily, does it? Like we want to kind of distance ourselves from eternal things. And we, we think about, well, I don't want to leave the people I love. I don't want to die. I don't want to experience that. I don't want to, you know, miss out on the opportunities and these, these people in my life. I would miss them so much. And we, we think about eternity. We immediately distance ourselves from the weight of eternity. We have to go to our funerals now and then, or sometimes we get a diagnosis and it becomes more to the forefront of our mind. But we try to live with those at the back so that we can be caught up in what's here. And that impacts our faith. I'll tell you why. Because God wants us caught up in eternal matters. That what matters in eternity, he wants us to matter here. Let your kingdom come on earth just as it is in heaven. Let your will be done here just as it is in heaven. That God would invite us into this movement of the kingdom to leverage our lives, that the kingdom would advance, that we would share the message of truth and of grace and mercy with others, that they would come to faith, receive forgiveness, that we would live in the light, that that's a reality, that there are people who would miss out on that. Many people all around the world who would never hear the message of the gospel that should matter to us. Our neighbors, our family members, our co workers, our classmates who seem far from God, they need to see the gospel in us. We have to live above the label of, well, this person doesn't care, this person doesn't care. Like they matter to God. It's just hard, right? There's a tension. Can I say, let me address you. Just if you're listening today and you feel like, you know what? I've been the person in my life who, it, this world is all that's mattered to me. I wanna make good decisions. I wanna live life to the fullest. And you've kind of put the whole eternal destiny on hold. Something you think, oh, come to that later. I'll make decisions like I'm gonna live my life now, but you know, when it gets closer to the end, then I'll make a decision. Let me tell you something, that's foolish. That's really foolish. What makes you think your heart is gonna be more open later? Like if you're here and you're listening today to the message of the gospel, Respond today, here's why. The Lord said, you know, today is a day of salvation. He spoke by his Holy Spirit through Paul, the apostle to tell us all, today is a day of salvation. Meaning don't count on the fact that you might have tomorrow to make that decision. Sin has a way of kind of clouding your mind. Like you're not gonna be more open later than you are right now in this moment. I think for people who, Maybe you're like that family I described, that they they used to be inspired. They used to be passionate. That was something that they remember from way back when they used to believe eternal matters mattered much. But that was something that was back in your past. But you've allowed the world to kind of crowd out that passion. Your faith, you feel like it's kind of waning. It's not as strong as it used to be. Why? Because everything around here matters so much to you. I'm not saying these things aren't important. I'm saying it's Time to have one of those come to Jesus moments where you realize that what matters in eternal destiny matters more than what happens here. And to ask him, God, help me to see that vision. Help me to see your mission. Help me to engage in that. Help me to see you working in and through my life. I wanna experience your work. I wanna see people come to faith. And if you're here, maybe, maybe you just needed some passion, some inspiration to remember Right, You feel the world kind of creeping you down, but there's something in you burning inside to see God's work, to see God glorified in your life. But you've allowed the world to kind of fizzle it out a bit. Well, it's time to come to the Lord and talk to him and offer him more of your life. Wherever you're at, let's do that. Let's pray. Um, I, want, I want eternity to impact my faith. Let's pray that. God, I pray that for whoever's listening in today, God, that you would help us to realize that eternal things matter. God, I pray that eternity would be forefront in our minds. We would think about your eternal mission of reaching people for the gospel. I ask that if you're listening in and you feel like you're far from God, it's time to surrender. You understand he loves you, wants a relationship with you. He has a purpose for your life. And to simply say to him, God, I believe in you. I believe that your son has died on a cross. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. Will you help me? Just tell him that. You need to know that simple step, that step of humility is what makes you right with God. If you're listening in and you're the person you feel like, man, I used to be passionate, but my faith has been kind of lukewarm, just kind of going through the motions, kind of obligatory. If that's you, talk to God right now. Say, God, I want to live in light of eternity. I want my faith to be on fire again. God, will you help me to sense your mission? Help me to see my life as being leveraged, that you could use it, that other people would come to know you. However that looks, say, I'm offering you my life. And if you're listening in and you feel like, man, I, I have that passion, there's something in me that longs to be passionate, but I feel like the world's trying to crowd it out. And just tell him, say, God, I, I surrender these parts of my life to you. These parts that are starting to become too important. God, I surrender them to you. God, use my life for eternal matters. God, I pray for all of us that you would use us, leverage our lives for something bigger than just what we experience here. God, that we would see and sense your presence, that we would live with the weight on us of eternal matters, God. Help us to experience your freedom and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness, your goodness, your gentleness and your self-control. Help us to experience all the fruit of the spirit in light of eternity. Help us to see the reality. And we ask that in your son's name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you for listening in today. Thank you for the way that uh, you support what we're doing here to allow this to happen. So if you're one of our members or regular tenders, thank you for the way you give. Uh, you know that you can continue to do that through the web or through the app. Uh, just thank you for supporting what we do at LifePoint. Uh, but I just want to encourage you to continue to lean into what God's doing in your life. Uh, to get involved in a life group if you're not already. Come on Sunday when you're able. Um, to dig in, allow the spirit of God to continue to to kind of fan the flame of faith in your life. Until next week, God bless.